As I was closing up for the night, I thought about all the movies that had been discussed in the spoiler room. That was when the temperature in the room changed. I went to the thermostat and it said it was 52 degrees KB. Suddenly I found myself in a maze of movie posters. No matter what direction I went, each path led me back to one actor, Kevin Bacon. That was when it was clear what I had to do. When I snapped out of it, I added bacon to the menu. 2020 was going to be an interesting year in the spoiler room. Yes, my friends, here we are once again. Hope you all are staying smart, safe, and healthy out there as we once again head down to the spoiler room where it's 52 degrees KB. And oh man, let me tell you, when I was planning out this year, I was so excited that I was able to work in tonight's movie. I apologize already to my ahead of time to you all and to uh, the lovely Dawn who's joining me tonight uh, because... Oh, I know exactly what I'm in for. <laughs> <laughs> there, 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 will be, there will be extraordinarily amounts of gushing and energy and I will try to keep myself from talking like the uh, Micro Machine Man. So there you go. I just dated myself quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> hi, Don. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, so glad uh, you would be able to join us. Tanya is under the weather. Uh, hopefully it's a mild case. She thinks it might be the coronavirus. So our hearts go out to Tanya and hope she gets a speedy recovery and rests up and it just stays mild for her. Uh, so tonight, yes, UHF is on the chopping block. Weird Al's film directed by Jay Levy, the guy who did all his music videos, who directed them. And yeah, how is this connected to our film last week, Tin Men, that I talked with Ian Simmons about? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. But I'm going to find out if uh, my lovely crew member, Diva of the Spoiler Room, Dawn, uh, she may be able to give a more controlled summary of uh, oh, this. Oh, oh, no, there's no control here. You go ahead and go. <laughs> so You, you fanboy right on away. This is so fanboy, folks. I have, I have been, <laughs> I have enjoyed Weird Al Yankovic since my parents had Weird Al in 3D on vinyl, which I still have, and I know exactly where the skips in the record are. Listened to that many times, and became an instant fan. Looked for his other albums, and boy, oh boy, was I excited when I found out he was doing a movie back in 1989. Weird Al. Yankovic decided to do his uh, bring his parody art uh, to uh, the big screen in the form of UHF, where he plays George Newman. He and his uh, buddy are uh, guys who are traveling from job to job, mostly because of George Newman's uh, daydreaming. He's got an overactive imagination. Gee, I don't know how I could uh, relate. <laughs> To a character like this, not a clue. And I have no idea at all how I could relate to a guy like this. And so he and his buddy Bob uh, have traveled from job to job thanks to uh, George Newman's daydreaming. Well, when his uncle comes into the ownership of a fly by night UHF station, his aunt 
decides that since he needs a job anyway, he's put in charge of said station. And at first it's on the ropes and it looks like in dire need of problems and that they are going to shut down until comes along the janitor, Stanley Spadowski. And soon, thanks to the wonderful innocence of Stanley Spadowski and his energy and fun of Stanley Spadowski's Clubhouse, the live show on UHF, the channel takes off and becomes the number one in town, which does not sit well with the evil corporate network Channel 8. And we see how Channel 8 tries to thwart uh, the UHF station uh, from uh, becoming and staying the most popular channel in town by nefarious reasons, including trying to buy the station outright. And we see what happens. Do they get bought out or not? Well, stay tuned, and we'll probably hit that point at some point because it's the spoiler room. So, and Weird Al, did I mention Weird Al with Yankovic was in it? Yeah, I think I did. You might have. I might just, just a couple times. Just a times. little <laughs> There's many people in here, though, as well, who we will get to definitely. Uh, Dawn, do you remember when you first saw this? Um, yeah, I um, um, yeah, I, I actually did not. Uh, it came out at a time just after what Orion went bankrupt, and yeah. so there wasn't a lot of. Uh, promotion for it so i didn't actually see it until it was playing on tv um probably a pay pay for station like uh hbo or cinemax mm -hmm. or some such nonsense um but i remember seeing it there and i I've, i thought then and i think now it's a it's an entertaining movie that even though some of the references are dated i still find it less dated than some of its peers um like airplane <laughs> as dated as far as just humor or references or both references, references and, and some yeah. humor mm -hmm. yeah i uh i didn't have to rewatch it but i did watch it again i watched it with my boys and they got it but there were just a couple of references they they did not quite you know it kind of fell flat for them namely the music video in here uh the ballad of jed clampett beverly hillbillies done as a parody to uh uh, uh men at uh is it um dire straits is um dire straits, yes. yeah money, money for, for nothing. nothing yes uh money for nothing and so they didn't quite get the parody of the video and they <laughs> i had to explain to them they're like wait is those cgi graphics were those actually kind of big back then and i'm like yeah, they actually were kind of big. <laughs> and so they, uh, you know. Oh, God. You know, so, but, uh, yeah, I remember seeing it. Here's a surprise. I know I know it's going to be a surprise. I saw it in the theater at least a couple times. I, I know, it's a shocker. But, yes, of course I saw it in the theater. Loved it. Um, fanboyed over it, got the soundtrack, which is an awesome soundtrack, one of his... Uh, solid albums. Al was really in full swing. Uh, he was on the rise. I mean, his songs were getting played on the radio. Uh, that you know, top forty stuff. You had Eat It playing later on. Uh, you'd, yep. ha you'd have even worse. So I mean, he's one of the few parody guys that actually had his parody songs playing regularly in rotation on like top forty albums. Uh, and, and and not to jump too far ahead. Oh, by all means, but the big ahead. reason, 
But the big reason for that was in the audience of uh, Stanley Spadowski's Playhouse. Oh, yes, Dr. Demento, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, shame on you with Dr. Demento. Uh, fantastic gentleman, DJ, host who would feature lots of parody and comedy shows on a syndicated radio show. And he's the one that gave Al his big break when he was playing some of Al's music. And that's where it took off from there uh, as he got discovered and he was a rising star. And so, yeah, he was really in high swing, his popularity continuing to grow. So it was about the right time for a movie. So along comes UHF and his George Newman. Now, I, I the film opens with a really good parody of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, what'd you think of the first parody skit that we get here? Because we have a number of parody skits, as you would expect with Mr. Weird Al Yankovic. What'd you think of this recreation of Indy? Um, well, uh, I thought it was highly original, uh, with the, instead of the booby traps necessarily, they had all of the uh, do not enter danger signs. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the the scene where he, yeah he's going through the vines and then all of a sudden he comes through and instead of any type of traps, it's just do not enter, uh, tire damage warning, uh, all these Yo. traffic signs. Uh, you know the the ancient uh, hieroglyphs is this uh, basically uh, like uh, ancient. A figure making a funny face in stone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, we're in the late '80s here, so the parodies were kind of waning, but this was still just so much fun. It, it lets you know right away. I mean, you know, it's Weird Al, so you know you're like going into this movie, going, "Oh, this isn't going to be you know that serious of a film," you know. But when the first uh, gimmick that we get in here is the recreation of a guy trying to take a shot at Indy, only in this case it's uh, George Newman posing as Indy in this dream sequence basically. He whips off not only his gun, but the whole arm of the guy. <laughs> oh, yes. And then and, and then he rips off one arm, but then it's actually the other arm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That even it doesn't even match, but that's okay, you know. Yep. That that's part of the that's part of the gimmick, really. It's part of the gimmick, yes. Yeah, it's if you think it's a mistake, it's not. Weird Al, if you've ever heard, uh, it's straight out of Linwood. It was a multi, one of the multimedia combo discs, and so great album, white and nerdy, hell yeah. But on it as well as a video of him. Uh, doing the recordings and kind of the behind the scenes stuff. And if you listen to one of the sessions he has where he's listening to playback of what they recorded and the seriousness that he takes his parody music, which is why he's lasted so long, you can understand that his, his parodies of the films that he does here or the TV shows are going to be well thought out. And I think all the parodies in this film uh, that we get all these little skits of either his daydreams or the actual shows they end up putting on at UH, you know, U62 later on. Um, all are are really well thought out. What'd you think of them? And, and again, 
I, I believe this is why the even though some of the the references are dated, mm -hmm. this movie holds up much better than some of its peers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, much yeah. better than some of its peers. Well, because he does reference he le references a number of either classic movies or TV shows as well. That even if you're not that familiar, you know enough to catch why this is a joke or why this is a parody. Um, uh -huh. You know, and the fact that I, I love the indie skit, though, because it, the direction of this is so well done. I mean, this the director, uh, Jay Levy, who, as I mentioned, did direct uh, mo almost all the music videos, which are like short films for Al. Um, uh, he, he, you can tell he's worked with Al quite a bit at this point, and he's just got some fun direction in here. They get along so well, because... Instead of the golden statue, it's a golden statue, but it's an Oscar sitting on the pedestal. But it's not quite an Oscar. But it's not quite an Oscar, no. It isn't. Uh, and so then he does the whole bag thing. The way they direct it, it's actually really well done. Uh, same with, you know, similar camera angles and such. And then he just drops the bag and grabs the statue. It's awesome because that's something that many people like in Indiana Jones, when you watch it, you go, why did he just grab the statue? <laughs> you know? So I, I think that's part of what works in that gimmick. And then it just gets crazy as he's chased by the ball through many a scene. <laughs> yes. And the ball turning sharp corners. The, the ball turns sharp corners. They, they run past what is obviously composited screen, but the ball, the rock doesn't stop like it did at Indy. It keeps going after him, and it keeps going after him through Paris, through Egypt, through a street where he does, where the rock does make a ninety degree turn and squashes him. And that's when we find out that it's actually George daydreaming at Big Edna's Burgers. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, it it is the the humor throughout this film. Uh, Actually, the, the humor kind of changes. I mean, it still stays physical, but would, would you say they they don't rely on the physical comedy for all the laughs throughout the film? It does kind of change as the film goes along, doesn't it, Don? It, it does. And there's the, the, the styles of humor, there's a huge variety in there from... Mm -hmm. From the physical comedy to a little bit of slap, uh, slapstick, uh, li uh, some self-depreciation. Um, there's there's just a huge variety of mm -hmm. humor in there, and it just it's mixed well, very well. It, it is mixed well, and I think it's partly because of the script they have. They know what film they were getting. You're right. Orion Pictures was behind this. They did not get a huge budget for this film. Uh, five mil. Uh, but he's got a lot of talent in front of the screen. You've got uh, Victoria Jackson as Terry, his girlfriend. A young Michael Richards as Stanley Spadowski, which is one of the most underrated comedic characters, I think, in many, many circles. Uh, the villain... Played by Kevin McCarthy, R.J. Fletcher, and our uh, yes, our connection to Tin Men, Stanley Brock is in this. He was in Tin Men, and here he plays the Uncle Harvey Bilchek, who owns the TV station. Uh, I and then Trinidad Silva's in here. Billy Barty. Uh, 
Yes. Fran Drescher. It, I mean. it came to the point, it came to the scene where uh, Trinidad Silva comes up and Sheldon's walking by and he goes like, are you watching Colors? He was in Colors. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> have that's, a that's, seat. That's, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, he did have a seat and watch the rest of the movie. He, he, uh, couldn't get over the, the the flying poodles. The flying poodles. Yes, because <laughs> yes, no, no, because yes, at U sixty two, as I mentioned before, they they are failing until they start coming up with original programming. It it, it to put it in context, uh, a later film would have a similar spirit in that uh, it was called, I believe, "Please Be Kind Rewind." With Jack Black, where yes. they where they recorded their own takes on movies because they ended up accidentally wiping all the videos in the rental store. Um, it's in that kind of spirit where, as this film goes along, there's this sense of community that grows and and common man uh, bonding with this TV station that just just does whatever the hell it wants it just throws you know ideas out there george has so many wild ideas and no one is saying no to really any of them uh and one of the shows is raul's wild kingdom yep (laughs) and it's it's trinidad silva and he is hilarious as raul and there's a whole bit in there where where Bob and George are watching this, and they're like, Bob goes, where'd you find this guy? And George goes, what do you mean? I thought you hired him. So they don't know who yep, this guy yep. even is. <laughs> and, and, he's, oh, man. and he's got this apartment just filled with different animals, from uh, turtles, to which he does give. And it's educational. Turtles, he gives some explanation, and then he mentions on how... Turtles are nature's suction cup. Licks it. Nature's suction cups. Takes it to the ceiling. When this skit oh came on, God. when this skit came on, my boys were trying to stifle it a little bit. They were they were laughing. They were just digging <laughs> the skit, especially when he went to the uh, the ants. Oh look, they make these intricate little tunnels. Oh yeah, they really hate it when you do this. And he shakes <laughs> it. Oh, they're really bad now. And yeah, teaching poodles how to fly. I mean. Oh my God. Uh, you know, there's that, and then uh, George and Bob live next to an, uh, a karate studio, ran oh, studio ran by Cooney, who's played by by uh, Gede uh, Watanabe, who was uh, the star opposite Michael Keaton, I do believe, in Gung Ho. And, yes. And so he's in this, a, a very talented individual, and he is hilarious in here as Cooney, and he gets his own show, because he also runs a sushi shop, and so they have the Wheel of Fish. The Wheel of Fish. Oh my gosh, I just, I, I, I was impressed with how much they kept their face straight during that scene, because that had to have been a very very special smell oh yeah it it had to definitely <laughs> been a special smell because the wheel of fish folks actually has real fish on it as they spin it and the goal of the competition is uh, contestants can win a chance to spin the wheel of fish and win their weight in fish uh or 
or they could choose what's in the box that Danielson is bringing down <laughs> the, <laughs> the aisle as we speak. Uh, th- this segment was hilarious because, yeah, it's just the right amount of silliness, yet also just the right amount of detail that makes it so much fun because while it is ridiculous, there is a part of you in the back of your brain going, I could see this being a show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially your oh, weight in fish. Oh, my God. That's that's some money depending on the fish, you know. And, you know, I think it, it resonates now mm-hmm. because a lot of the really, truly bizarre ideas that he uses, this is the age of internet and podcasts. They can do these things. They can. I mean, it, he it wouldn't have to support a a, a a television station. It could support a podcast channel in the same bizarre way. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of the stuff now would res is resonates in a different way. Watching it again now, especially, I'm like sitting there going, I could see this being a YouTube show. I could totally see a lot of these being YouTube shows that people would actually watch. Um, I, I I'm I'm just looking at the list of programs that were shown on Channel sixty two. I I kind of want to make um, volcano worshippers hour. <laughs> Druids on parade. Druids Druids on parade. Yes. And fun with dirt. Uh, the wonderful world of the the wonderful world of phlegm. <laughs> Yes, fun with dirt. Oh, all of those great. Uh, yeah, because uh, there's a seated here later on where once they've uh, started picking up a bit after discovery of Stanley Spadowski, they start putting on these other shows, and George Newman actually creates a schedule. And yeah, it's hilarious to see what what is the titles, and I could see all those shows. Oh yeah, uh, fun with phlegm. Uh, the young and the dyslexic. <laughs> Uh, it's great too because and and that's what I liked about it was because you got some gags like that that were you know they're not up front you could tell there's a whole bunch of ideas that he probably had those ideas and chose not to film them (laughs) well I I was wasn't this film originally two and a half hours long and he had to edit it down to the 90 or he, he chose they chose to edit it down to the 90 minutes. Um, and then as fans asked repeatedly for a director's cut, he's like, no, there's a good reason it was, it was cut. <laughs> yeah. Cause not all of the, not all of the hits, uh, not all of the things would have hit. So, I mean, it's, it's good that they went through and uh, did the trimming because it flows nicely. It flows mm-hmm. really nicely. Yeah. And unfortunately we mentioned Trinidad Silva, he was actually killed by a drunk driver during shooting. Uh-huh. Uh, there were supposed to be more scenes with him. Uh, I guess there were scenes where the <sighs> poodles were supposed to attack him. <laughs> oh, God. That he taught how to fly. Uh, but he, they do dedicate it uh, to him at the end. So um, just, just to you know, bring that up. But, yeah, it's just... Ah, oh, the 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 ideas and everything we get we get Conan the librarian in here, which was hilarious. Oh, I love Conan the librarian because I love Conan the barbarian, and uh, <laughs> and the audio from that is on the UHF album, as is 
probably one of the uh, maybe not necessarily PC but most hilarious skits. Gandhi two. Oh, Gandhi two. <laughs> yeah, I love Gandhi two so much. God, it's just oh. Did did you not like Gandhi two, Don? <laughs> I preferred Conan the Librarian, but it, there was a lot to there. There was yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did did you did you have a problem with some of the humor now looking at it through twenty twenty eyes? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. There was a lot. Well, you know, there's always going to be a difference. But I, I again, I just I had less of a problem. I've always had less of a problem with with Weird Al's sense of humor because he, he does really think about it, and and it shows. Well, I mean, it, it's on one hand, you look at it, you go, this actually has a very diverse cast. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, from the cameraman who's hilarious. I mean, everybody gets their moment to 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 get a laugh. You know, till Billy Barty to I mean it's it's a menagerie of characters and some of them, yes, are playing up a bit of caricatures, but oh I I gosh. you know, the Cooney who actually uh Watanabe has uh, had a reputation of playing characters that played up the accent of Asian Americans. Uh yes, he did. You know, that was kind of his uh his thing. He 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 had a number of performances where he did that. And while some people go, oh, well, they're making fun. I'm like, it's it's hard to say with this because this this film at its core has such a a pure, and it sounds corny, I know, and I'm not just fanboying. Just from a film watcher's perspective, this film has a very pure spirit to it. I think, um, you, you know, and and not, I don't maybe a little innocence, but I mean, it's just. It's got a good core. What am I off on that, Don? Not at all. You're absolutely right. This this film was made with all the love that these people felt for the movies and genres and things that they were um, spoofing, right, or parodying. Mm-hmm. You 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 don't get you don't give that much effort. To something that you don't love, right? It, it even 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 the Stanley Spadowski character, which is probably the one that's most on the line for me, as far as he's a little too close to mocking disabled people, right? Um, even him, ultimately, he's the hero. Mm-hmm. And not in a, not in a, uh, n- not in a way that people have done it since. Like, um, I, I'm, I, I'm drawing a blank on on movies, but I also am glad I'm drawing a blank on movies <laughs> um, to compare the kid that style character to. Um, it was it was not done obnoxiously or right. overly disrespectfully. Well, and and that's just like the caricatures. I mean, like, uh, you know, we mentioned them, you know, Wantanabe, uh, you've got, you know, mm-hmm. and Trinidad Silver, who are, are gentlemen, you know, 
who have thick accents. They're playing a bit of caricatures. Uh, you could tell the actors are having fun with the perf- with, with with the characters they're playing, um, mm-hmm. and. I think this really sits into looking at the context and portrayal of the entire film. One, it's a parody film, but two, you're right. Uh, just like the Stanley Spadowski character, who Michael Richards is just, oh, he's so good in this. His character never slips. Um, and and it, but it's and the nice thing is, it's not just those minority characters mm-hmm. uh, that play over the top caricatures it's emo phillips as as joe early from the yeah from the the the, the town wood, the wood shop teacher the wood shop teacher oh my God. it's it's um fran drescher as the secretary wannabe news lady it's mm-hmm. it's billy barty as the as the midget i'm sorry little person a, yeah. as the little person um cameraman who quite honestly isn't tall enough to be a cameraman, but is anyway. But that's the joke. Um, that's the gimmick is the fact exactly, that... Exactly. It's exactly the gimmick. And yes, it's it's Kevin McCarthy who... God, that man is a brilliant uh, villain. Yes. And every time I, I see him, I knee-jerk to uh, Tales of the Crypt. <laughs> I can't help it. I oh, just you, do. You have to, yeah. Or no. it, Tales of the Crypt and what is the other one? Um... Hmm. there's another one that he's just he does this over the top schlocky villain and I I just always think of him as that those characters so it was it's not just the minority people that are playing these cheesy caricatures of people it's the whole cast oh yeah it's the whole cast it's a played up comedy uh, that you know, it, it's almost like a cartoon <laughs> in many senses. Yeah, you know the way the characters are. But uh, what I find interesting is, where at the surface you look at it and you go, these characters, oh well, they're they're you know doing accents and that, and they're they're kind of making fun. I'm like, you know, if you look at it closer, yeah, they're playing caricatures, but at the same time, these characters, especially the Stanley Spadowski character, who you mentioned, yes, it. It's a very fine line. They get up close to it, but they never quite go over it with Stanley as in, uh, you know, the portrayal of, of mentally uh, slow or, or handicapped individuals because there are mm-hmm. moments there are moments throughout this film where each one of those individuals show you that the, they know what they're doing. They're, the, these are people that are more than just the accent or the silly funny guy. I mean, Michael Richards played, that's why I love his performances, Stanley. And I think it really needs to be looked at more for one of his performances because yes, at the surface, when you first meet him, he's this simple guy and you think, Oh, but there's parts of him that get revealed that you realize he knows what he's doing. Uh You know, he, he's just a guy. Yes. He suddenly has this hit TV show, but he also wants to be a janitor and still be the janitor for the station. And they let him, you know, but there's glimpses of of the things when he does things that, you know, or when he's giving advice. I love the monologue. The first time he takes over Uncle Nutsy's clubhouse because we're uh, George Newman ends up daydreaming. He forgets 
to go to dinner with his uh, girlfriend, played by Terry uh, uh, Victoria Jackson, and her name's Terry. Sorry, uh, <laughs> and uh, so she dumps him, and he's trying to be host of Uncle Nutsy's Clubhouse's children's show, and he he just gives up and gives it to Stanley, and suddenly everybody loves Stanley, and he gives this great monologue about a mop. And it's when that happens that you realize that there's more to Stanley than just the funny kind of simpleton guy. I think. Yes. You know, I, I think oh, that, yes. you know, and it just like later on, you know, in the film when they rescue him from the kidnappers, uh, that, uh, you know, he gives a speech. And while his wording is hilarious, there's sometimes where you've just got to stare the, the potato of injustice in the eye. <laughs> the potato of injustice, yes. I love the potato of injustice. I just, you know. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, there's that. Or like with Raul's Wild Kingdom where, yeah, he does something funny. But at the same time, if you pay attention to what he's the information he gives in the beginning before he kind of goes all Raul, um, he's giving, <laughs> you know, he's giving information, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and Cooney, too. I mean, all these characters are are people. And I, I just loved how they're they're played earnestly i guess if that's the uh-huh. r- right way to put it you, you know me with words don i'm horrible but it, it there's a lot of earnesty to all these characters i mean i want to hang out at u62 <laughs> i don't know about you but oh yeah it i want to hang out with philo oh yes we forgot to mention philo played by anthony geary I love Philo so much. The enge- technical engineer of U62. The technical engineer <laughs> who has chemistry sets all over the place because that's how electrical engineers work. <laughs> of course. Lots of beakers and formulas, sure. Because those liquids work well with electricity. <laughs> it's just the best introduction to his character, too, because he just pops up when George and Terry are visiting the, the studio for the first time, and he just pops up, and he has these, like, electric, you know, and, and it's over the top. He, he, but just his delivery, this character just has the greatest, like, mild delivery of his jokes. And it it's just, oh... Here, and George is holding these two connectors. He's like, uh, what are you trying to do? He's like, I just want to see if my oscillator can hold, handle a jolt of 60,000 volts. And he's like, what? And he turns it on, of course. And uh, and then when it's done, electrocuting Al, he's standing there with his, you know, his hair just poofed out. And he just comes up and he goes, yeah, it works. <laughs> just so, I just love the delivery. Yep. And then we we come see Philo later why he's so smart. I mean, he plays an intricate part in the the film. He's not just like a a, a brief character. He helps set up a surveillance camera in uh, R.J. Fletcher Channel 8's uh, office to kind of keep an eye on him, see what's going on, since they know this guy is shady and he wants to take down U-62 and... uh, you know, that's where they find out that Stanley Spadowski was actually kidnapped by these gangsters. 
They're just this film has it all. This film has it all. Gangsters. They really do. It, it, it has you know crooked, <laughs> crooked. Uh, 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 you know TV chi- moguls. TV moguls. It's got a you know a uh, a bookie who's got a detachable hand. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love the cleaver hand. Big, big Louie. It's just, and it's, that's one of those, again, one of those jokes where at first you're like, okay, the scene's going on. He's talking to Harvey Bilchek, Stanley Brock's character, is telling him you, he owes him $75,000. And, you know, we got to see him earlier and we see the hand with the cigar. A cigar and then the second time we see it, suddenly he's turning, t- twisting the hand off and puts a cleaver on it. And then his butler out of nowhere just brings this slab of uh, salami for him to cut into <laughs> for for no reason. It just, uh, you know, and yeah. just great parts like this. They even make Fran Drescher not annoying in this film. So... <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't like Fran Drescher, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. The, the, the role she's in is actually, I mean, she does her Drescher moment when Bob and George first meet her and she goes on that entire rant about wanting to be in news instead of being a secretary, um, which I love. Um, you know, even her character, though, she... The, the character she was in this one was a little closer to, a little farther away from the nanny Mm -hmm. and a lot closer to the character she played in say dr detroit yes yes exactly yeah she was more closer to that than the nanny uh which was great because uh when she tries to go on her first news thing with uh uh, (laughs) with uh uh, um noodles mcintosh played by billy bartley the uh, uh camera guy uh, we have news uh, channel eight news guys who trip uh, our noodles Macintosh and he gets hurt, and then the uh, gangster who's accompanying the uh, reporter says, "Broads don't belong in broadcasting." Um, That's an awful line. It is, and yet it's good line too. It, it's a good line. It's a good awful line. Uh, it immediately yes. sets the tone for that character as well as those the rest of those at uh, Channel Eight, and uh, and then they get their comeuppance at the end of the film. And, you know, I I love I mentioned this earlier at uh, uh, on Tin Men and that that I love bookends to movies uh, to stories or to gimmicks to where you see something and then it comes around and it's referenced again later on either as a comeuppance or you know a closure. Type thing. I, I like when stories actually do that rather than just leave it there. Um, and and you know, uh, Noodles Macintosh and uh, our Fran Drescher character Pamela Finkelstein um, get their you know they get to uh, get their bit of uh, get get back at those who bully them, uh, which this film is at its core too is just bullies. It's about bullies bullying uh, the. Uh, Odd man out, folks, is what it is in many ways. Um, at least that's the way I see it at its core. It, it's, you know, it's about uh, defeating your bullies. <laughs> it, it is. It's about, it's about uh, the underdogs sticking together and, and winning the day. 
Thank you, underdog. There, uh, there, there are more underdogs out there than there are bullies. Yes, there are. And, uh, yeah, uh, th- this film, I know we've jumped all over, but this film just has so much to it. What were you, what were you thinking of? You, you, you giggled. Oh, I, I, was thinking, I was thinking that even with that, mm-hmm. one of the biggest gimmicks that are in there was uh, was definitely the biggest winner of of the underdog at the end of the movie. Um, the uh, the the beggar guy. The the can I do you have some change? Do you have some change? And then the funny thing is, it, and the funny thing is, he's like, "Hey, do you got any change?" And then he takes exact change and gives him a dollar back. <laughs> the only time. I, I, the the only time that he actually asked for money and didn't give anything back, he was given a penny, right. just a penny. Yeah, and that penny saved the day. The penny did save the day. The penny given by R.J. Fletcher to this guy, and R.J. thinking that, uh, yeah, he's just uh, giving this bum uh, a, a penny. Here you go. And the bum just suddenly gets very excited, and he's like, "Well, whatever." He figures, "Oh, okay, I made this guy's, I made this guy's day," um, and yeah, it ends up saving the day. It it, it def- yep. defied your expectation, you know, and and you get a number of moments like that in this film as well. Now, uh, the bum was played by actually a veteran actor named Vance Colvig Jr. Um, who was in a number of films, and he, he, but he was just, yeah, it was hilarious. Here's this guy, and then he gets the penny, which he can get lots of money for, because part of the gimmick with this film is uh, that uh, with um, Harvey Bilchek in for a lot of money to Big Louie, R.J. Fletcher sees a way to buy the channel and annihilate it so he can eliminate the competition, uh, but Bilchek, <laughs> at the behest of his uh, wife who nearly uh, drew and quartered him, uh, gives George the chance to get the money as well, $75,000. So they hold a telethon in which they buy a share, and then it can belong to everybody. I just loved this part, too, because I'm just like, this just fit in with the entire theme of the community and banding together and, you know, all for one, one for all type of feel with this movie. And so we get this part as well. And so, you know, it's thanks to the bum and his $2,000 uh, that he can, uh, they raise enough money to. <laughs> what? But the $2,000 was what he had left after buying himself a, Ro- a Rolex. A Rolex, yes, which R.J. Fletcher had wanted for Father's Day that he got pissed at his son about because his son didn't give him uh, a Rolex. And so at the end, of course, not only does the money get paid off and the station stays with George Newman and the community, but Philo happened to record R.J. Fletcher saying some very mean things about the community, which he thanks to a signal boost, takes over the signal boost and played it back for everybody to see. And then R.J. Fletcher, he pretty much gets like so much happened to him, deservedly so. But what I love is you've got the the bum 
who shows him the uh, watch, which is the nail in the coffin for RJ. Um, and he starts crying, and the bum just gives him a hug. He's still nice to him, even though this guy was rude to him. <laughs> even though he gave him uh-huh. the penny. The guy at the end, the bum, is still being nice to this guy who was an ass to him. And it's such a great moment in this film. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm gushing, and I know I'm I rambled a bit, rambling a bit with this film, but you know it's you gush all you want. <laughs> it's just <laughs> to sound. I know I'm going to sound like that. We don't get a film like this this often, folks. That there's just oh, so much fun underdogness to it, and it's so earnest and so much just. It's light, and especially when we have so many movies, even comedies, that just get a little heavy. You get this film that's just just a fun movie, you know? Don't think about it too hard, because there are some plot holes, as my kids have pointed out, fairly. And I'm just like, yeah, but that's not what this type of movie is. Uh, you're supposed to enjoy the... F- it's not. No. Not at all. You're supposed to enjoy the fun and the... the uh, uh, you know, parodies, of course, from the parody king himself. You know, strip, strip solitaire. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. And the little uh, Noodles is, is the host of that one. <laughs> noodles is the host of strip oh, solitaire. That's right. And they have oh, the. Oh, my goodness. And then they have. A parody where they poke fun of, yeah, folks. I'm going to end up naming all the parodies, so I'm. You'll just have to bear with me. Um, <laughs> the Practical Jokes one, where he trips just someone coming out of a grocery store because they give the cameraman his own show. Everybody gets their own show. Um, yeah, everybody does. Everybody gets their own show. And then there's George Newman Town Talk, uh, <laughs> which. Oh, God. Which is a bit of a dated reference. You you still get talk shows that are over the top, so people are familiar with them, but maybe not as much as the specific talk show person that he is, personality that he's parodying, which in this case is Geraldo Rivera. Because um, <laughs> yeah. you watched him as he opened up Al Capone's glove compartment. Oh, my God. Roadmap. Roadmaps. <laughs> Got yeah. it. It's just great, folks, because to put it reference, Geraldo Rivera actually did do this big primetime. Yes, Fox News, Geraldo Rivera. He was a talk show host, and he did this big, huge. Do you remember that, Don? It was a huge oh, event. They promoted the hell out of it. He was going to open Al Capone's vault. They found this vault that was supposedly Al Capone's, and they were going to open it. And they oh op- my god! It was days of building up to this. <laughs> they built up to it forever, and there was nothing. It it was oh, dirt. No. It was filled with dirt. They literally opened it and started excavating and got to the back of the vault, and I don't think they found a thing in it. If I remember correctly, it was. And it was live. It wasn't even pre-taped. It was live. Yes, this was a live event and it failed miserably. So when Weird Al pops up with the Al Capone's glove compartment, roadmap, it's just added humor if you're familiar with 
the Geraldo Rivera debacle. Yeah. Actually, it wasn't soon after well, that. To, I, th- I mean, he did he did a couple of actual good things. Yeah. Although I don't, I, I question his motives on why he did that. Because honestly, he's Geraldo. It's, it was yeah. for the viewers. Oh, yeah. Not for any altruistic reasons. But he did do good things. Yes. Much like Channel 8, he did it for the views. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, you get that, you know. Uh, And so George Newman talk is just hilarious. It's just, there's a lot of fun things. And it moves. It clips along. I'm glad they cut it down because this film just clips along so well. You could tell they picked the best gimmicks in here. Yes. You know, what, what would you say is... Pre- it wouldn't surprise me if they actually had skits for each one of these shows that that were on his uh, board of programming. The Bestiality Today, Beat the Lone... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Beat the Lone Shark. Beat the Lone Shark, yeah. My God, <laughs> Buddha Knows Best... They probably did have at least scripts out for all of that. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it one bit. Yeah. Um you know, and, and yeah, you, you just get all of these references in here and then you, you but you still have a story. And see this is where this is why uh, we we brought this out before, you know, um with parodies uh, nowadays versus, and I talked about this, I think it was on the Amazon Women on the Moon episode, uh, we've talked about where par- there's parody films to where they seem to just go from skit to skit and kind of toss in a very wafer-thin story to try to connect the skits, whereas in here it felt like they had the story and then they worked the skits into the story that they had. Mm-hmm. Which you know there is a difference because at its it's still a movie by itself, um, you know it and 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 most of the skits, some of the skits were added in to um, the skits some of the skits were added in to as development for his for George Newman's character mm-hmm. the indie skit was to introduce you. To a highly imaginative, but rather a, um, a highly imaginative, but ultimately not a very good employee uh, guy who was bouncing from job to job because he kept daydreaming about things and he was not in a position where he could use those daydreams to his benefit. Um, that skit, there was the Rambo skit of him daydreaming about how he was going to rescue Stanley Spadowski. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was all, it was all part of his character development. Some of the other skits, not so much. They were just uh, filler for uh, the television show and right. to see, to show the programming and how everybody got to play a part in the programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh that's what's also great is those skits are in real life within the film and not just in George's head. Uh, so that, that helps. I think that helps with acceptability of those skits as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, gets it over to the audience a lot more. Um, yeah, it's just, 
<sighs> okay, I'm I'm calm now. I hope this has been somewhat coherent discussion so far <laughs> of, of this film because uh, there's just there's a lot going on. It's very kinetic. It has that Weird Al energy to it. Um, you know, it it's if you've ever listened to his albums, this is literally a visual representation of his albums. <laughs> I mean, would would you say, Don, that it, you listen to his albums and you look mm-hmm. at this, you go, "Yes, this this is still Al. This is not him trying to do something different. He is in his comfortable wheelhouse, and he has so much uh, fun with it. I mean, we we've got to mention can can we mention that uh, the drink from the fire hose? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Billy, you found a marble in the oatmeal. That means you get to drink from the fire hose. <laughs> and, and seriously, what kid before they understood the the amount of pressure coming out of a fire hose didn't want to try to drink out of a fire hose? Right. Because that would be so much more cool than drinking out of a plain old garden hose. Because <laughs> it's a fire hose. And there is even a nod to the serious film network in this film, thanks to Stanley Spadowski and his mop analogy that I mentioned earlier uh, that gets everybody riled up. <laughs> he talks about how there's dirt on the floor and, and, and life is like a mop and how it gets full of hair and grunge and, and you got to rinse it out and start again. And then sometimes, sometimes that... You know, it's the the floor. You need to do a little more, so you need to pull out a toothbrush, and you need to scrub really hard. But but sometimes that's not enough, and sometimes you just gotta say, "Hey, these floors are dirty as hell, and I'm not gonna take it anymore." <laughs> Which, of course, is a reference to to network. Uh, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take it anymore. Um, yeah. So okay, I'll. <sighs> Do you have a favorite skit in here, Don? <laughs> Do I have a favorite skit? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I didn't think about that real hard. Oh, sorry. To tell you the truth, I liked. Um, I I think I. I liked I not a skit. No, I liked the part with the, I liked everything with the bum the best. I I liked that whole. I I don't know why that particular character tickles me so much, but he does. Well, what's interesting about the bum character is, yeah, he doesn't show up much, but he's a guy who is... It's the same as what we've mentioned earlier with the portrayal of a lot of the characters in here, is his portrayal is very earnest. He's not like a lot... not. I'm not going to say everywhere, but not like a lot of bum portrayals. They don't make a joke of his smell. They don't make him a wino. They don't, you know, he's just a down-on-his-luck guy. Well, he appears to be a down-on-his-luck guy. He looks like a down-on-his-luck guy. Um, He's not, yeah, when they show him, he looks... He he looks a certain way. He presents himself a certain way. He's toothless. He's wearing grungy clothing. Uh, but he asks for change. But then 
he literally just wants to exchange change. And then you see him sitting on the park bench with the blonde guy trying to solve the Rubik's Cube. And they're just sitting there visiting and did I solve it? Nope. Did I solve it? Nope. Did I solve it? <laughs> oh, nope. God, the be- yes, the, the, the gimmick on the, on and, the park bench with the blind guy playing Rubik's Cube with him. Oh, my God. And, and he didn't necessarily look homeless. Mm-hmm. He just looked... Again, it was one of those things where he looked a certain way, but he likely wasn't that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was obviously very knowledgeable about things. Otherwise, how would he have recognized that uh, that um, very rare collectible penny immediately? And he knew how to sell it to get money. Right. So somebody was taking him seriously somewhere. <laughs> And that's what I liked about that character is he looked a certain way. You were meant to perceive him a certain way, but that character was way, way more. Mm-hmm. That's 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 why I liked him. That that's why he was my, my favorite part. Oh, and and rightfully so. And that represents the whole movie. It, it does represent the whole movie. I mean, we we've mentioned it tonight already. I mean. You know, uh, Stanley Spadowski on the surface, you expect him to be one way, but then you can tell there's more underneath the surface Mm -hmm. than just what you get. A lot of these characters are characters that the whole... You're meant to perceive a certain way, but they are more than what you're seeing. Exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, that's especially with Stanley Spadowski, because R.J. Fletcher just thinks he's just this simple guy who he didn't even know worked there for 15 years, you know, and assumed Mm -hmm. things and didn't realize that he actually had a very talented individual on his staff that probably would have got him ratings. (laughs) But, you know, I don't I don't think they would have let Stanley do his thing, you know, and. And Stanley gets his mop back, so it it all ends well. His mop, I love his mop. I love that whole the whole scene with him getting kidnapped. Ah, oh. oh my! God. Every scene with him being kidnapped by these gangsters and and being held hostage is hilarious. Uh, they they kidnap him by if they're doing a telethon and of course stanley is the number one draw so that's why they're making a lot of money so they get the idea to kidnap stanley and so the telethon bombs and so the gangsters are holding him and they say they wanted pizza so they're driving in the car and he's describing why he loves pizza and there's a whole minute and a half where he's talking about i sometimes like nothing but anchovies and then he there's a pause and he goes Hey, you guys heard from the pizza place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then later on, he's sitting there. And what's great about it is after, at by this point in the film, and I, I guess for me, I would say that, um, well, it, it actually, Weird Al is my favorite thing. I, I love all the parodies um, is my favorite, favorite thing. But as far as characters go, that's why I really enjoy the Stanley Spadowski character because there's these scenes where he's with the gangsters that have had him hostage. And one way you might think, okay, he's just not realizing what situation he's in. But after you've seen him to this point in the film now, you're like, maybe he does and he's doing this on purpose. 
in some ways. You would think that being the way he is, Mm -hmm. he would grasp the effect that certain of his behaviors have on the people around him. And, and he does appear to be the kind of person who has to talk needlessly through whatever's on his mind to get to the important stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and he, he, he's talking and talking and talking and somebody comes in to check on him, which precipitates uh, the door being opened. He's pulled off his mask and boom, da. There's his mop, mop, which causes him to be able to superhuman strength burst free of his rope binding. Uh-huh. Well, and and defeat the bad guys. Yes, with his mop, which at one with point makes a lightsaber sound. God bless Weird Al uh, <laughs> for putting putting that in there. Uh, but yeah, his annoyance. You know, his annoyance scenes. You're right. I. Stanley is at an age where you can tell you you realize he he's very aware of how he is. If you miss the fact of he's not aware of how some of his you know quirks or whatever is, and you're right, he's got to keep talking while he processes things. Um, but at no time when he's uh, when he's being chased, there he gets he he's actually shows some fear. But when he's first kidnapped, he has no fear at first either he knows there's danger uh with the guns but uh yeah it's not until he's being chased after he gets his mop that there shows signs of a little bit of fear but uh yeah he's i just love this character i really do (laughs) i'm thinking of something is he showing fear for himself or is he showing fear because at that point george is there and he doesn't want george to be hurt that could be that very well could be that uh, they don't want George, he doesn't want George hurt either. Uh, because yeah. George does go through his wonderful parody poking fun at Rambo oh, and, and 80s action films in general. We're in- watching that scene where, where the bad guy is shooting and shooting and shooting, machine gun shooting and shooting and shooting, and he just walks up to him and pulls the bow back and lets go and boom, and the big pan to the wide screen and you see he's six feet away. Yeah, I'm Like, yep, that's exactly how Rambo worked. <laughs> They're six feet away and this guy's missing him and he's got a bow and arrow that he pulled out of nowhere and shoots him and the guy explodes. I mean, a very impressive a dummy explosion. Uh, yep. And then he's Rambo and he's sneaking through the camp because he's imagining himself rescuing Stanley Spadowski as a POW. Uh, and he's clearly in view of all these guards, but he's sneaking around, skulking like escape, you know, and then you get that wonderful, yeah. it had to be a Mel Brooks nod. I almost, I almost think the helicopter, uh, because as, uh, in this dream sequence, Rambo, Al, and Stanley Spadowski, POW, go steal a helicopter, but Rambo hands the stand in front of the helicopter that says helicopter rides, 20 bucks. He hands him $20. <laughs> and that that scene there was like a Mel Brooks moment. I was like... It certainly was. Oh, good. I, I'm glad I'm not the only one that felt that way. That, that one shtick, I was like, oh, that's just like 
Mel Brooks right there. <laughs> Just... yep. yep. And he gets the oh, the yell and everything and yeah, it's uh, so much fun. It, it, it's a fun comedy that you know, most of the humor is not questionable. There is uh, you know, some of the over the top violence, you know, the, the exploding guy, but it's so over the top, it's comical. Um and and bloodless. And bloodless actually, yeah. It it, it looks more like a silly putty blowing up um than actual like gore uh for those few scenes. And yeah, I mean, I just uh, it's it it's one that it doesn't get old. You're right. It's one of the 80s comedies that ages a lot better because the films he references and the shows he references, the majority of them are classic shows or classic films that people have seen that were before the 80s. So it's not like he's referencing necessarily all 80s films except for maybe Rambo. You know, he's he's referencing stuff that is popular. It's not just obscure references that people, films that people still watch today. That's where I'm going with that. Yes. Um, yes. I, I finally get there. See, that's why I like Stanley. See, I just, I keep talking till I finally get to the idea <laughs> that I want to get to. <laughs> so, yes. I know, I, I've talked way too much probably about this film tonight, but I was so happy I could work it in and, yeah, I, as you can gather, and we'll wrap it up tonight. Uh, final thought with UHF, Don. Do you think uh, overall this comedy uh, still works today and, and would be made if it made today, if it could be made today, I should say? Let's put it that way for the final question. Do you think this comedy could be made today in the way that it is, or would they have to change things? Would they have to change things? No. I um, would they have to change things? No. If they used that same team, if if they used the same team, the same creative minds, uh, Weird Al and um, I believe Levy, uh, Jay Levy, yeah, Jay Levy. Mm -hmm. If they used that same team. They could probably, and had a little bigger budget, mm -hmm. they could make probably an equal quality film today without having to change too much of the the actual humor. Mm -hmm. Minimally. I mean, obviously they'd update right. for, yeah. for, for modern times. Um, parodies that have come since then have been far more offensive. Yeah. Exactly. They they have definitely. So, yes. Some of the scary movie movies. Oh God. Uh, date movie. Uh, not enough. A lot of the parodies. Not another, not another insert teach. here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of those movies have been far more. In in raunchy isn't necessarily a bad thing, but raunchy tasteless and just offensive it's it's and these are these are movies that have been made within the last decade and should know better right yeah exactly and that, and that's why I, I go back to this film and, and state that it's it's a very 
in many ways, for lack of a better term, a very innocent movie. Uh, UHF is, I think, in that that it's not setting out to be offensive for the haha at all. Uh, yes, the jokes are are parodies. They're supposed to be plays on p- things that people really enjoy or that are very popular, without being mean spirited. This this film, yeah, does... they're respectful parodies. Exactly, you can tell that these are things that he loves. That's why he's making fun of them, just like his songs. You know, they're... <clears throat> except for the except for the Oscar statue holding its own grind. <laughs> Well, that's. I think that was just a nod to the fact that the Oscars wouldn't let him use an exact replica. Uh, so exactly. So that's a little joke to them, saying, "Okay, fine, this is what you get." <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know. So yeah, it's it's not. It doesn't have a mean spirited bone in its body. It really for its jokes. Its jokes are not. They're all meant to be fun and innocent. You roll with it. And in all honesty, I want the programming for U8, U62 to be real. I just, I do. And I'm saying this not just as a Weird Al fan, okay? I, I want you to tell you, even if I wasn't a Weird Al fan, I would watch this film a lot because it's fun to watch a film that makes you laugh, but as Dawn mentioned, is not offensive. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it, it just isn't, you know, uh, although I don't know if shop teachers may take offense to emo Phillips, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> which shop teacher. It's just so hilarious. I don't know. And, and it, it, it wasn't the it wasn't the ineptness that he's shown or the carelessness. It was the. Huh. It was the the absolute calm. Well, shit, I cut myself. Eh, I'm cut, surprised you didn't ask for some duct tape. I cut my thumb off. Yeah. Oh, I just could. I, only the way emo, calm. way emo Phillips could do. And it's great. What's what I love about the gimmick too is that it's off camera, so you don't see it right. You just see the reaction. Uh, you hear George yell, but you see the reaction of the cameraman. It's just hilarious. Who's eating a sandwich and he's just his eyes are big and he's just like ah. Yeah. Then you see that the thumb got cut off and there's blood squirting everywhere. And and, and the thing mm. is the the funniest thing is I'm looking at his hand, looking to see how they did that, and you can see his thumb folded over with the with the, the tube, little plastic yeah. fake thumb on top, and. and it it's hilarious. It even if you can see it, it's still hilarious. Yeah, it it is. Um, and I just such a great skit. Call me Mister Butterfinger. <laughs> uh, and yes, we'll we'll end it for the night. Uh, I I could keep going and probably quote the whole film, and I will spare everyone that. Uh, I, I, I thank everyone for allowing me to gush on this film. Uh, I can't tell you that, well, okay, yes, I did squee a little when I was working out how to get uh, to the next movie from Tin Men, and when I found out that I could do it this way and then connect it to another film with Bacon, which will be next week, I was like, wee! And so... Um, <laughs> 
was like, yeah. yes. Uh, you know, so. And, and the commercials. We got to mention the, the commercials. Uh, it's Oh, God, the commercials. I, I can't go oh, without mentioning Crazy Ernie's car dealership and Spatula City. Oh, oh, oh I love <sighs> those two. What's really bad about those two is that, you, again, Weird Al's talent for parody, it's just real enough to where you're going, I could almost see that being a thing. <laughs> Didn't they make an actual, uh, rent an actual billboard and put a Spatula City uh, billboard sign up? Yes. As yes. part of the movie? Yes, they did. And they actually had people asking, where is Spatula City? Because they... Wow. <laughs> yes, they 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 had that. Uh, yeah, they apparently people were actually turning the corner and then going to a local business asking where Spatula City was. Yeah. So shows oh. you. So anybody out there wanting to do a, a wholesale spatula rest uh, retail store, uh, you now's your chance. There you go. You could you could tap an untapped market. <laughs> People looking for spatulas. Oh, God, mm. yes. <sighs> so, there so, you So, yes. Then comes to the movie, and Big uh, Louie comes to collect his $75,000 that Uncle whoever um, Harvey. lost. Uncle Harvey lost on the horse races. And everybody saves the day, and bad guy not only loses the uh, opportunity to own and demolished U-62, but (laughs) also thanks to Philo, who, big reveal, isn't of this earth, um, 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 also goes head to head with FCC and loses his licensing. Yes. Yes, the good guys There, I spoiled the tire end. The the good guys win. So there there you go. Yes. So. <laughs> Apparently And then and then the last the very last skit the very last skit at the end was uh girlfriend Terry asking to be part of George's daydreams. Yes. And you could be because all. Tomorrow better. is another day. Yes, it is. And uh, great Gone with the Wind reference at the end, which is all happy. George gets the girl back. They keep the station, and ah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it has a happy ending. Mm-hmm. I like happy endings. We don't get as many of them in films anymore. Yeah. Sorry, I had to hit that end because it was a very happy, sappy ending. Oh, it was a totally happy, sappy ending. It was, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a, a fitting ending to the film, uh, for sure. And yes. so there you go, folks. If we, we haven't covered everything, but we've covered a lot. Uh, I didn't have to watch it for Refresher, but I did because I wanted my boys to finally see it because uh, I realized I failed as a father that they had not seen it until now. 
Um, so uh, I failed at that. So I, I apologize to them for not showing them to it sooner, though. Uh, and, and even at their age, I think they found fun with it. And so, yeah, it's it's fun for everybody. So <laughs> there you go. So here we're going to give uh, Dawn the license to shill. I know what she's probably going to promote. So Dawn, oh yes, here's your chance. License to shill, shill away. Oh, on occasion, although not so much, you can find me at intheaudience.net. But mostly, you can find me in the audience at the Northeast Wisconsin Horror Film Festival in beautiful downtown Oshkosh, Wisconsin at the Time Community Theater. Now, this is uh, submissions are open, and this will be happening in October. We are not currently expecting any delays or postponements. However, we do have a backup plan. So mark your calendars for the second weekend of October and keep your eyes open because if this coronavirus craziness continues, we will, we do have a backup. But support local indie horror of all sizes and shapes. Yes. Excellent, excellent message. And thank you all for listening to me ramble about this film. Uh, I hope it was coherent. It, what Dawn says is always coherent. Always a pleasure having you in the spoiler room, Dawn. <laughs> and so now we'll just say a, a good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Spatula City, Spatula City. Hi. We, okay. Where's the spatula? Okay, kids, let's go. There's just one place to go for all your spatula needs. Spatula City! Spatula City! A giant warehouse of spatulas for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And because we eliminate the middleman, we can sell all our spatulas factory direct to you. Where do you go when you want to buy name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cost? Spatula City! Spatula City! And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine spatulas, get the tenth one for just one penny. Don't forget, they make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a spatula? Spatula City! Spatula City! Hello, this is Cy Greenbloom, president of Spatula City. I like their spatulas so much, I bought the company. Spatula City, seven locations. We're in the yellow pages under spatulas. My, where did you get that lovely spatula? Hey, all my friends out there looking for more spoiler room goodness? Then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive spoiler room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and on to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room, as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support, and remember in the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.